Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. So what exactly do you do in those Educate Together schools? Last month, I spoke to you about 23 myths I've heard about Educate Together and other multi-denominational education providers, and I was amused with some of the reaction. In fact, I even collected two more myths to bring it to 25. The first new myth was perhaps unsurprising, and that was Educate Together promotes a woke agenda, which made me laugh because it was kind of inevitable that that was going to be thrown their way. Yes, trying to uphold basic human rights is now considered woke. The other one has become my new favourite myth, even more than my mother-in-law's one of whether I got paid or not. Yes, uh, this one is great. I think it's brilliant, to be honest with you. Apparently, multi-denominational schools are all about LGBT plus ideology, in quotation marks. I love this ideology. It's just, oh, I don't know. Anyway, we were all playing as well to the Pride Party's tune. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's brilliant we're playing to the Pride Party's tune. Well, of course, my retort was, if the Pride Party's tune is any bit as catchy as all those Alive-O songs that we had to listen to in the late, 90, late 90s and early noughties, well, to be honest, we're on to a winner. Anyway, a few people asked me, what exactly do you do in Educate Together schools and what do you do in that Learn Together curriculum? Because as far as they're concerned, they couldn't really see any difference between the Grow and Love Catholic Faith Formation Programme and what they perceive to do and what they perceive we do in multi-denominational schools. So before you shake your head in dismay, I thought I'd give it some more thought. And in this episode, I want to explore that question and offer you a snapshot of one month in a multi-denominational ethos and see if it might answer the question of what exactly do we do in those Educate Together schools? Hello, hello, this is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a podcast where I look at the world of primary education and wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You're very welcome to subscribe to this podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps and please tell your teacher friends or anyone else who might be interested in primary education about the podcast and please leave a review if you like this or any of my other episodes. Well, as I said in the introduction, when I speak to teachers who work in Catholic schools or when I talk to parents who've sent their children into these schools, most of them seem completely unaware of why anyone would have an issue with what's being taught in them. Teachers will generally concede that second and sixth class might be tricky for those of not the Catholic faith because of the time dedicated to sacrament preparation and they do admit feeling a little bit sorry for some children who spend a lot of those years reading and colouring at the back of the classroom. However, there are some that just can't understand why families would want to make their children feel left out of this 
Anywho, you know, and this this is really difficult for them. You know, why would they put themselves into a position where they have to sit at the back of the class while we do this harmless sacramental preparation? Honestly, this is something that I've been told. And it's backed up by the thousands of thousands of parents in Ireland who buy into this. I mean, if you look at any magazine in late April, early May, or what's become known in Ireland as communion season, you will have articles dedicated to uh, to communion dresses and communion fashion and communion cupcakes and things like that. I mean, it's as if it's completely normal, no matter what you believe. And, you know, I often give the example of the of Sean Moncrief, um, who proclaimed in an Irish Times article that even though he ticks the no religion box in the census and identifies as an atheist, he will be allowing his daughter make communion because, and this was his reason, this was his actual reason in the article, you can look it up, he isn't anti-Catholic, as if that's why people don't do the communion. You know, it isn't, <laughs> it isn't for any other reason why someone wouldn't want to make their child do their communion. I mean, my child, for example, isn't making his, inverted commas, communion because, do you know why? We're not Catholic. It's amazingly simple. That's the reason. If we were Catholic, he would make a communion. But we're not. That's all. It doesn't mean I'm an anti-Catholic. It just means I'm not Catholic. So when we tick the no religion box in the census, that means we don't have a religion. And I, don't, I always pick Moncrief as the example because he's famous. But he's not alone, as we all know. And I'm surprised that I have any lips at all for the amount of time I spend biting them when people tell me, well, I, I'm not religious, you know, but, you know, we're just going to do the communion, you know? And I should add, I mean, I don't really care about the obvious hypocrisy. It's not really, I don't care about the hypocrisy of it all. You know, you can do what you want in your own free time, but it affects me. That's the problem. You know, if it didn't affect me in any way, I wouldn't care. But because over 90% of schools can legally discriminate against me and my family, and they do, they are the people that are going through these sacraments, even though they don't believe in them, are perpetuating the dominance and control that the Catholic Church has on primary education. And this is why I have absolutely no time whatsoever for anyone who complains about the sex education program in schools, or if they complain about a, a you know an overzealous priest um, or whatever, if they allow their child make sacraments, but that is for another episode because I'm sure you're sick of me saying the exact same thing every second episode. But let's move on to the point of this episode. When teachers ask me about what we do at all at all in Educate Together schools instead of the Religious Faith Formation Programme, essentially the angle they're usually coming from is that they consider Catholic faith formation as harmless. And all, sure it's all about being nice to each other. They can't understand why anyone would feel the need to opt out of it because all the lessons are universal really from their point of view. And because they all mostly come from the same Moncriefian concept of Catholicism, they have the same cognitive dissonance that Moncrief and his, I suppose, followers or co-non-religionists all have. When they teach about marriage, for example, it's generally no leap for them to ignore LGBT plus relationships. 
When they talk about Jesus being born in a manger, they don't think of it as a significant religious event. While they might shirk a little bit at the senior infant's chapter called Mary Says Yes, where a childlike illustration of Mary gets magically impregnated by a stranger coming into her room, they laugh it off as, <laughs> sure, it's only a story. But as I say, that's for another episode. I guess what I want to do is to take an arbitrary month in the school year and give some simple examples of what one school might do. And reflecting on the fact that one's ethos is supposed to permeate throughout the school day, which it does, albeit very subtly in Catholic schools, in many Educate Together schools, I'm not saying it's taken more seriously, but there's certainly an emphasis in it. So this will be an example of an Educate Together school that takes its ethos seriously. I want to show how this might be done for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I want to show you how an ethos can permeate throughout a curriculum as it should do. Because I think what a lot of Catholic schools do is they're, they're very Catholic light, as some uh, teachers will explain to me. You know, we don't even, you wouldn't even know you were in a Catholic school, Simon. You wouldn't even know. And, and that really annoys me when they say that because I can't get a job in that school. Even, even though it's Catholic light, it's enough Catholic that it excludes people who aren't Catholic from teaching it or working in it because you have to pretend to uphold the ethos. So you actually have to carry the Catholic passport in order to actually be there. But anyway, that's uh, an aside. But I want to show you what how an ethos can permeate uh, throughout a curriculum as it should do in any school. But secondly, to tackle one of the biggest myths spread about multi-denominational schools, because I think this is probably the most um, uh, uh, quoted one from people because, and they often say this, you know, when they're talking, when they're when they're having an argument, do you know they say, well, educate together schools, they have their own agenda too, and and the, the implication is that it's the opposite of what Catholics ones is, you know, what, what a Catholic ethos is, um, and so basically that they're that the biggest myth is that they're, that educate together schools and multi denominational schools are anti Catholic, as I said last month. One of the biggest successes of the Catholic Church in Ireland was to convince the population, including the government, that Catholic education was the opposite or is the opposite of multi-denominational education. And for whatever reasons, many teachers working in multi-denominational schools believe they can't mention Christian festivals or teach about them in any way. You'll hear that a lot. You know, you'll, you'll often hear in an Educate Together conference, it's really, I find it funny, um, but, you know, someone like, oh, Jesus, or something like that. And they go, oh, sorry, sorry, I shouldn't mention that. Or, happy Christmas. And, oh, oh, sorry, I should. No, that's that's not what the schools are about. You know, it's really not um, how, how they work. We teach and we mention Christianity and Christian festivals, you know, and um, I hope this will show. Um, now, and in fact, you know, this, this opinion is shared by many parents that send their children to educate together schools or multi-denominational schools. And you'll often see parents up in arms. So, like, this is another thing that can be, you know, can be interesting. And you'll see it on Facebook and these parenting groups, you know, they're giving out that their educate together school or their community national school, their child came home with a story from a Christian tradition. I didn't send my child into a community national school to learn about the Christmas story. Um, but, but, but it's just not true. That's not what they're about. So before I begin, I just want to say as well that the following is only one person's idea 
of working in multi-denominational education. Much like there are different flavours of Catholic schools, there are different flavours of other multi-denominational schools. And this is just an idea. There's no manual as such. And more importantly, I want to note that this is not Educate Together's official position, nor is anything I ever say, just for that matter. I haven't been told to say that, but I'm just saying it because... I'm venturing directly into teaching and learning in this episode. So I feel it's probably worth saying that this is not cond- endorsed by Educate Together, even if they even if they do uh, like what this episode might be. This is just off my own bat. Another thing I can promise is that I won't be singing, okay? No matter how catchy those imaginary pride tunes might sound in my conservative friends' heads. Okay, let's get going. And we're going to choose March because this episode is airing uh, in middle February. So if you are working in a multi-denominational school, it might give you some ideas um, for March, teaching in March. And if you're not working in an Educate Together school, in a Catholic school, you might get a, it might give you an idea of a particular month in an Educate Together school or in a multi-denominational school. And what I'm going to start off with is uh, the first of March, um, but not just the first of March, the first two weeks of March. Yes, Shockton, Nguelga. And despite the myths, yes, we do teach Irish in Educate Together schools. However, one thing I like to do is find ways that open up the Irish language to diversity, because it's a criticism I would see If you look at any of your Irish textbooks that are currently published at the moment, while they do have characters um, um, from diverse backgrounds, I don't think they have any names, you know, they're they're kind of tokenistic. Um, But more, more apart from that, you know, I think it's a good opportunity to show that the Irish language is not just spoken by white, blue eyed Irish people, uh, born in Irish, generations of Irish and all the rest of people in the Gwaeltacht and all the rest of it. Um, and I know most people know that, but it's but the experience of most people from diverse backgrounds is they only really ever experience Irish in school and the only adult speaking Irish in school is their teacher and they are 99.7% likely to be white and Irish. So I think this is a good way, Shakhtar Nguelga is a good way to open up the idea that the Irish language is open to everyone. So if you speak to any person of colour that speaks Irish and they'll tell you a story about a time where someone ethnically white Irish told them they were stealing their language. And that's um, a common story that I've heard from most people of colour who are fluent in Irish. And to be fair to the Gwelgor community, because I want to say this, if such a thing exists, I don't know if there is such a thing as a Gwelgor community, but they have done some really good work in trying to promote the language to diverse audiences. Now, I'm not talking about the Colossal Lurgan thing here, which kind of, to me, reeks of white middle class, but probably appeals more to teachers trying to make the language relevant to young people. But I want to find examples that challenge people and specifically challenge children's perceptions. And I don't think I can play this particular video that I want to share with you for copyright reasons, but I will absolutely link it to the YouTube, uh, oh, sorry, I'll link it to the show notes. Um, uh, so if you go to the uh, Onshaw website, you'll find this episode and in the show notes, you'll see this, uh, the link to the video. And it's from um, a woman called Ola Majekadumni uh, with a short poem in Irish with her own thoughts after. Now, Ola is Nigerian Irish and a fluent Gwaelgor. 
And the purpose of showing the video is to show children an idea, well, an example of an adult in their world that speaks Irish but isn't white, basically. And in essence, that they can say, the child can look, oh, that could be me. I can speak Irish because here is an adult who looks like me who speaks fluent Irish. And it's that visual message. And not only that, it might lead, you know, apart from all that, it might lead to discussions about why should we speak Irish? Or why do we speak Irish? Or why is she speaking Irish? And that ticks your shock in a Gaelga box very nicely. It's just one example. And I'm not going to go into too many, uh, too many examples. You'll probably, this might open up other ideas for you in terms of thinking about diversity when we're thinking about Shakta Nguelga. Think about Gaelic, uh, Gaelic games and the number, and the, uh, and the number of uh, players uh, from different uh, backgrounds and diversity, different skin tones, different cultures, different, um, different backgrounds who play GAA. And again, they probably also speak a bit of Irish, but again, we're talking about Irish culture in general during Shakta Nguelga. Really important, think about dance, think about other forms of arts where you will see diversity. So um, that is my example for you. First example, hopefully, uh, of help. Look, I won't go into too much more detail from now, as we have a lot to get through. Um, starting on the 1st of March, which is Zero Discrimination Day, which is kind of good for talking about the human rights um, and discrimination part of equality and justice, which is one of the strands of the Educate Together, Learn Together curriculum. Yes, it's not all about religion in Educate Together. We tackle lots of other strands. Now, I don't think I need to get too much about into detail about what Zero Discrimination Day actually looks like, but I do ask you the question, if you are working in a religious school, I mean, there has to be at least one child sitting in the back of your classroom on a daily basis that goes through discrimination. Now, is it best to gloss over that or should you tackle that on Zero Discrimination Day? Could you tackle it in zero, uh, on the 1st of March in your school? And could you, I mean, could you really do it? Ask yourself honestly. But this is something that we can do, I suppose, in multi-denominational schools, talk about discrimination. And, um, and I'm not saying um, these schools are free from discrimination. Look at discrimination about, uh, on ableism. Look at some of the buildings that children are put into. Are they accessible? Is that discrimination in a different way? So we have to look at these things and, uh, and, and tackle them. But we can't gloss over the fact that in 97% of schools, there is religious discrimination happening on a daily basis. Let's move to 2nd of March, which is World Book Day. What's that got to do with Educate Together, you might say, or what's got that got to do with multi-denominational education? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's a brilliant opportunity to explore diverse books. And I'd highly recommend a resource for you. It's the Free To Be Me resource from Children's Books Ireland. I don't think this is something that can't be done in religious schools, but think about the books you have in your classroom or in your library. Ask yourself some questions. Who are the main characters? Where is the book situated? And who are the heroes? And that might help you. I think diverse books is a good way to, you can do this, as I said, in a, in a, in a religious school, uh, to a point, I suppose, um, but very, very useful and very, very, uh, might be of use to you if you're doing World Book Day instead of tackling the normal books that are out there, the regular books. When I say normal, I mean typical. Um, let's move to the fourth of um, March and there's a week here and it's engineering week. So what's engineering week got to do with multi-denominational education? Well, 
Um, it's nothing to do with multi-denominational education. It's to do with um, equality-based education, to do with the ethical education. Well, it's a good opportunity to explore gender equality. Female engineers. I think this is a good opportunity to look at female engineers, the lack of why there are female engineers, what we can do about the lack of female engineers, and discuss those ethical questions. Which leads me then to the 8th of March, which is International Women's Day. And while most schools will cover this, I wonder, given the ethos of the schools, how do we deal with the fact that the leaders in 90% of school communities are on 100% men? That's the church. There are no female priests. And what message is that telling us? What message is it telling children that you know, your school's leaders will always be men. They may not see them. Maybe there's a way of, of again, glossing over because glossing over is what we do very well in these schools. In Educate Together, we don't have to tackle. uh, We don't have to avoid tackling that elephant in the room. And I don't think I know of any Educate Together school that specifically tackles that question. So I'm just going to leave it here hanging. So you might think about it when you're marking International Women's Day. But I do imagine it's easier to blissfully ignore that elephant in the room. Um, on the 8th of March this year, 2023, um, a religious festival takes place and it coincides with International Women's Day, so it's probably unlikely to get much of a look in in 2023, but I might linger on it for a little while because it is the first non-Christian festival I'm going to mention and it's called Holly. And for those of you who don't know, Holly is a major, major Hindu festival. Um, you might know of it because Part of it, I suppose, involves throwing bright coloured powders and waters everywhere. And as you might guess, as with most festivals from February to April, it's a celebration of spring. And there are a few, uh, just to let you know, there's a few versions of the story of Holi. Uh, but one popular version, just so you know, and this is the only festival I'm going to go into a, a lot of detail into, but I'll just explain what it is because I guess most people might know of Holly, but they don't know what it celebrates. But the most, uh, and there's a few versions, but the most popular one is about an evil king who became so powerful that he forced his subjects to worship him as their god. However, this king's own son, Prahlada, continued to be an ardent devotee of the Hindu deity, Lord Vishnu. The angry king decided to kill his own son with the help of Holika, that's Prahlada's sister. Now, Holika, as you can guess, was immune to fire, obviously, and she and she tried to trick Palada by asking her to sit with her in a pyre. Yes, a pyre. And when the pyre was lit, um, the boy's devotion to Lord Vishnu helped him walk away unscathed, while Holika, uh, Holika, for whom the festival derives its name, was burned to death despite her immunity. Now, before you kind of scoff at that religious story and say, Ksh! Remember, you worship Jesus, um, who was improbably uh, came from a virgin birth. Um, so, I mean, let's not um, let's not be slagging off other religions uh, because we have to respect all religions as improbable as some of their stories might be. These days, anyway, how it's celebrated, Holly is celebrated, is pyres are lit around towns to ward off evil spirits, and each coloured powder symbolises something. For example, red is for fertility, and so on. People also fill water balloons with coloured water and throw them from balconies, and it all sounds like great fun. But before you ask, no. In multi-denominational schools, we don't have a big coloured water fight or throw powder at each other. Because when it comes to religious festivals, 
multi-denominational schools have moved away slightly from the idea of celebrating all these festivals. It was something uh, they did in the past. But with cultural appropriation and all the rest of it, um, it doesn't seem appropriate. As you can imagine, throwing powder over each other and uh, throwing water over each other sounds like great fun. But it's a religious festival. So if we take this festival, it's a huge festival, by the way, on par with Passover, Easter, even Eid, celebrating it would be both practically and ethically difficult. I mean, to our biased Western minds, it might sound like a bit of a laugh, but we can't fall into that trap of cultural appropriation, as I said. You know, it might be fun to throw coloured powder at each other, but it'd also be wrong to ignore the religious significance of the festival and simply just turn it into just another party. Now, I'm tempted to make comparisons to sacraments here for the Moncrefians, but I'll try to remain on task. And much in the same way we don't force all of our children to fast during Ramadan, we shouldn't force children to take part in any religious practices. Instead, we can look at the various concepts that are common in different faiths and also outside of faith. So for Holly, there are a couple of angles where this can happen. We can look at spring festivals in general and how we celebrate spring. So in a Catholic school, that will generally mean St. Bridget's Day, St. Patrick's Day and Easter, maybe St. Valentine's Day. But your classrooms will contain families that don't celebrate these in their homes, and you'll have to ignore them or sort of pretend that everyone celebrates these. There's so many ways, though, to investigate spring festivals. I could actually do a whole podcast on spring festivals alone. However, you can find out how different people celebrate spring. If you Google it, for example, you'll come up with several dozen festivals, some religious and some not. You know, so from Cherry Blossom Festival in Japan to Songkran to Nauru's to the Bloom Festival in Ireland, there are so many to mention. Children have opportunities to discuss, explore and create their learning around a spring festival that means something to them. They might find out about a festival they didn't know about. They might be inspired by some form of music about spring, so Vivaldi's Four Seasons, the spring part of that, or maybe some spring dances or even some spring-themed art and to create their own learning from that rather than replicating what another faith might do. Another option of a concept here is colour, because colour is very important in Holly and the symbology of colour in different cultures. For example, maybe think about wedding dresses, for example, not communion dresses, even though they are wedding dresses, but actual wedding dresses that women wear. And you might instantly think of white if you thought of a wedding because of the culture that you were probably raised in. But if you were in India or China, that isn't the case. In Spanish tradition, for example, in some Spanish traditions, a bride actually wears black. And moving this on, you could talk about the colours of holly and any other commonalities or differences. St. Patrick's Day in Ireland is all about green, for example. Why? So I hope that gives you a fair idea about marking beliefs. Yes, it might be harder than in an homogenous setting of a Catholic school where there's only one correct answer, and that answer is always Jesus. (laughs) But joking aside... I hope you notice that Christian festivals are often mentioned and marked in Educate Together schools as part of the learning. And speaking of which, let's talk about a Christian festival, St. Patrick's Day. So how do you mark Ireland's national holiday? Here might be some ideas. Let's discuss Irish symbols and where they come from. And we could have a discussion 
what does it mean to be Irish? It might be a good way to tie in that Shakta Naguelga video uh, as Allah is Nigerian Irish. Think about those kind of questions. And there's no harm in talking about the Christian symbols that happen in St. Patrick's Day and why they're used. What did the shamrock, um, what does it mean? And you, obviously, as you know, it's the, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's okay to tell children about that, that that's what Christians believe. But the shamrock has, I suppose, become a national symbol and has lost some of its religious significance um, in some ways. And some children might even think of three other ways that the shamrock could uh, symbolise their Irishness. There's lots and lots of ways to explore that Christian festival. Let's move on to the 19th, which is Mother's Day. Now it's possible you've asked your children to write a card for their mother, singular, before this day. It's not a multi-denominational thing, but sensitivity around this celebration, as some children may not have mothers at all in their lives. And, you know, this this has to be handled sensitively. I mean, there are this is happening more and more often. And if you're going to be writing a card to a mother, um, this uh, can be problematic. But something that you possibly can't do, and this is where things get problematic given, uh, you know, a Catholic school stance, is what if a child has two mothers in their lives, you know, who are married? And given the Catholic Church's stance on LGBT+, this might be tricky for you to navigate, particularly if a priest walks into the room at the time that you're doing these cards and says, hey, well, hello, young, young person, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm writing a card to my mummies." Um, you mean your mommy? No, no, my mommy's. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing that happens. Um, I presume, um, you know, you'll probably take the risk. Did you know, by the way, let's move on, that the 19th to the 26th of March is National Tree Week. That's in 2023. It changes every year. This is a really good opportunity for me to explain one of the lesser spoken strands of Learn Together, which is the ethics and environment, uh, which is soon to be renamed. I like to think of this strand as something like a crossover between geography, science and SPHE. However, there is an added ingredient of ethical education in the mix, which you don't have in Catholic schools because all your ethics are religious ethics. Hence the name. Over the last few years, what is taught in this strand has become I would say the most mainstream. It's not alien to anyone working in a religious school. You're talking about moving beyond what's covered in the Green Flag Initiative. We're looking at sustainability, climate change, ethical decisions about the use of our natural environment and so on. And National Tree Week can be used to explore all of these things, whether that's simply planting native trees on their school grounds, whether it's discussing the replantation of forests in Ireland and the ethics of intensive farming and so on. There's, this is the one strand that religious schools could do without controversy, but it was worth explaining how it works. Let's move on. We're coming, we're coming two thirds through the month. I don't have, I, where am I time-wise? We're about half an hour in, so we should be done in three quarters of an hour, I hope. The 20th of, of March is International Happiness Day every year, and happiness is an excellent concept to explore in multi-denominational schools because it's a totally universal theme and it can be explored in loads of ways. And I'm going to just jump into it a little bit. 
From a belief systems perspective, we can ask children what ways they wish happiness on each other. They can go all sorts of directions, from secular ones such as Happy Birthday to Happy New Year, to religious ones such as Happy Easter to Happy Chinese New Year, to social ones such as Happy Pride. Now, one can examine happiness and the philosophical pursuit of happiness. We can talk about songs that make us happy and listen to songs about happiness. Happy by Pharrell Williams being the obvious choice, but what about things that don't mention the word happy, but are words associated with happiness, like bring me sunshine, or we're all going on a summer holiday, and why are they considered happy songs? We can talk about what makes us happy, we can talk about what would make the world a happier place, and as you can already see, you can cover the entire Learn, Learn Together or any ethical curriculum with the word happiness. I think it's a, it's a great theme. As you can see, I, I, and I glossed over this when I said it, but there is one thing that Catholic schools might not be able to do if they were exploring happiness, and that was when I mentioned happy pride. Um, and I'm sure you noticed that when I said it, but maybe you didn't. So I'll repeat it again. But International Happiness Day is a really, really great one to do. Let's move to the 21st, which is Nowruz. Uh, Nowruz is an important date in the Middle Eastern calendar, again on par with Easter and Passover and Holly. And, we're and basically what I would do in these kind of, very similar to Holly, is discuss the festival, who celebrates it, why, compare it to other similar festivals. As I said, most of this is relevant to Holly and similar to Holly in terms of how we celebrate or how we mark, we don't celebrate, how we mark festivals. Um, and um, so it's around the idea of spring festivals, so no need to go into too much detail. Let's move on to the 22nd, we're on to a more ethical environment, ethics in the environment, uh, thing. World Water Day, going to be very similar to National Tree Week in terms of ethics in the environment, so I'm not going to repeat myself to explain the strands. Similarly though, it is the strand that is easiest to do in a religious school, and it's not going to cause you any problems. I guess one thing you have over us heathens is that you believe Water can turn into wine. I really wish I believed that. And I really wish it was true because, you know, I'd nearly convert. If I knew my water could turn into wine, it would make my life a lot happier. I'm only messing. Anyway, I suppose there has to be one advantage to Christianity. Anyway, this year, 2023, the 22nd of March, also marks the beginning of Ramadan. Now, for those of you who don't know about Ramadan or Islam or anything like that, um, Ramadan moves backwards a month roughly every year. So a few years ago, I remember this in my own school, the poor, uh, some of the poor, some of my poor parents were, were <laughs> they had to fast a lot uh, for a lot of the day because we had so much uh, in the summer, obviously uh, the fasting period is much longer because of the length of the daylight. We're moving now uh, into a time this year where the days are shorter, and so uh, the fasting is a bit shorter. So anyway, that's uh, that's here nor there, because Ramadan is a time where Muslims observe their holy month of fasting. And given that Ireland has a sizable population of Muslims now, it's very possible you have Muslim families in your school. And um, it's pretty good to know when someone is fasting, really, to be honest with you. Now, I know the Grow and Love program has one chapter on Islam in its entire eight-year program, which still doesn't make the program inclusive before you say it. However, it probably empowers you to teach about Ramadan and Eid 
to your class as something they do. And I, with a heavy emphasis on the word they, as you might compare it to what we do, with a heavy emphasis on we, as you refer to Catholicism, possibly comparing Ramadan to Lent in some way. To be fair, this wouldn't be a terrible lesson and wouldn't be too far away from what is trying to be achieved in an ethical curriculum, apart from bringing it back to one faith being the correct one, i.e. Lent being correct, and Ramadan not being not correct, but what they do. In multi-denominational schools, it gives the opportunity to discuss the theme of sacrifice, or the concept of sacrifice, and comparing Ramadan to Lent, Yom Kippur, as well as other belief systems where fasting is part of ritual. Now, there are obviously some potential problems when discussing fasting, especially in older classes where, you know, we might have to go, where, where it might venture into areas which aren't really appropriate in primary school, such as of, uh, eating disorders and things like that. So this kind of idea of sacrifice needs to be dealt with sensitively and may be something that um, ethical education providers might need to think about before they go into it. Very similar to what I'm saying about Mother's Day, we have to be sensitive that some people don't have mothers. So what do you do in those cases? So, you know, you know where I'm going with that. Let's mention and move on to a thing that is recent enough in the mainstream, I suppose. This has been going uh, on for many, many uh, years, of course, but it's not something you'd think to maybe mark. It's the 25th of March 2023 and it's the Women's Six Nations, the Rugby Six Nations, and it begins that day. And you might wonder why a sporting occasion has anything to do with an ethical education programme. Well, it gives great opportunities to discuss women in sport and the issues of equality and a really nice way to extend the, the discussions earlier in the month from International Women's Day. And this falls into the equality and justice strand. And it's a really interesting one where children get to explore these really important equality issues. There's no reason why a religious school can't look into this either, but again, it has to be said that the irony of their patronage being patriarchal and it could be argued is misogynistic, can't be ignored and may not be ignored by members of their class. And how you deal with that could be tricky. Now, the final uh, one on my list uh, of things is um, Navarati, uh, sorry, Navar Navarati. Uh, Navaratri, sorry I'm pronouncing it apt, I'm butchering the pronunciation of it, sorry, my apologies, which takes place on the last week of March this year. It's another major festival in the Hindu faith. And the reason I bring it up is you've probably noticed by now there are a lot of festivals in any calendar year and it is obviously impossible to mark all of them. In fact, if you pushed it far enough, every single day of the year has a religious festival attached to the day and even most teachers' own faith background has a religious festival attached to it every day because every single day of the year has a saint's day associated with it with its own rituals and its own things to do. However, you can't in a Catholic school and you don't in a Catholic school cover each one of them. You pick the main ones and the odd times some of the very minor ones spill through. So the major ones, St. Valentine's Day, St. Bridget's Day, St. Patrick's Day, they're all in uh, in February, March. Um, so they, they spill over. Uh, the minor ones like St. Blaise's day which is with the blessing of the throats which is not a particularly mainstream christian festivals 
And many critics of um, multi-denominational schools say that the schools are hypocritical because they only cover certain festivals. So I just think my point about denominational schools doing the same puts that one to bed. Now, I hope I've explained how multi-denominational schools mark different festivals. I hope I've also proven once and for all that they don't avoid Christian ones either. They're just given equal weighting as any other festival. I also hope it comes across how exciting and how interesting I find the ethical education curriculum. I hope you heard, um, well, I mean, I'd like to think you, I I was passionate about this uh, curriculum. I love it. Um, And this is just one month out of the 10 months that we're in school. Uh, And there's huge scope for doing so much where children can learn about the world around them and to understand why people do what they do. When certain people talk about how secular education doesn't work, I don't think they have an iota about what multi-denominational schools actually do. And I hope that this summary of one month has demonstrated how navigating a world where everyone's beliefs are respected and explored can be done. Personally, I think these critics are so wrapped up in the belief that multi-denominational and Catholic schools are the opposite of each other, that they believe that multi-denominational schools avoid teaching about religion and beliefs and have a different agenda, a woke one where the pride tune is sung. Without, <laughs> but obviously we know that's not true. Um, if we learn about each other and keep discussions open and respectful, surely this makes for a world where we can live together in peace and harmony. And this brings me to the main theme of most of my podcasts and why I don't believe in school choice, especially along religious lines. If we segregate children into schools where they learn about their own faith as the truth and that all others are grand but aren't the truth, even if we sugarcoat it and say we have to respect their beliefs now, that is all it is, sugarcoating. If you tell a child that their belief is more true than another belief, it ends, even, even if you don't do it absolutely overtly, covertly is enough where you send kids to the back of a classroom um, or you to only talk about your, you know, the school's faith, it instantly puts all other belief systems onto a lower platform. The best you can hope for in a system like this is tolerance. And to me, tolerance isn't enough. And I know it's not enough because most Irish schools don't like that word tolerance either. You won't ever see a school celebrating themselves as a tolerant school. Now, I just want to, you know, move to the east a little bit to our neighbours in the UK where they actually call themselves tolerant. You know, and that's one of the British, the British values is of tolerance. They don't talk about inclusion. They don't talk about uh, accommodation. They talk about tolerance for each other. And tolerance isn't a bad word. It's, it's an accurate word for what actually happens in our school system. It's not as strong as inclusion, but it's not a bad word. It's not the kind of word you would, that would make me feel particularly welcome, but I know I wouldn't be, you know, discriminated. Well, I would be discriminated against, but I wouldn't be like treated badly, let's say. However, tolerance is the reality in most Irish primary schools. Putting a child of a different belief system at the back of a classroom is tolerance. It's barely accommodation. And allowing a child with parents of the same sex enroll in the school but never referring to that relationship is also tolerance. 
So if we segregate children into different schools according to their faith, we are going to create, at best, a tolerant society, not an inclusive one. And this is where I see problems happening internationally. Probably because it's so overused and almost lazy, I hate to quote or repeat Nelson Mandela's famous quote that education is the most powerful weapon in the world, but I guess there's a reason it's so often repeated, most often by people that don't practice it. And maybe that's why I don't like it. I think every Minister for Education has used that quote before making cuts to special education or completely ignoring their human rights responsibilities. However, if we do things right, we could do something most other countries in the world have failed to do. And that is to create a multicultural society that can live together. And it wouldn't be the first time in history this has happened. And it isn't easy to do. But segregating children into different religious schools is definitely not the right way to start it. And every year, while we continue to segregate children and barely tolerate them, we are walking our way into a society where we will fail and we are seeing the seeds of this as I speak, with all these anti-immigration protests going on, with these tricolour flag bearing, I don't know what I was going to use, I, there's no other word, there's no word to describe these people. Like, I know they're, they're uh, you know, generously, I can, I, I can see where they're coming from, but it's coming from a place of sheer ignorance. And what we're doing is ignoring this, and ignoring it is not going to help because they found a way to worry vulnerable people who blame all the problems of society on the wrong people. You know, they're, they're blaming it on <laughs> minorities. And this is, and our education system has a responsibility, an absolute responsibility to tackle this. And unfortunately, 90 odd percent of schools can't really do it very well um, because they are promoting one value system. Um, and it's a religious value system, um, which doesn't include everybody. And people often say to me, oh, come on, Simon, over time, things will change naturally. It was even said to me yesterday, it'll happen over time. And it always really annoys me for a number of reasons. Firstly, how long do we minorities have to wait until you lot are ready to embrace us? That's my quick response. And however, secondly, for every single day you tolerate minorities, you are disenfranchising them, creating the potential for ghettoization, rebellion and intolerance of each other. As I said, I hope this quick summary of a month in a multidimensional school gives you some insight about not only what happens, but also what could happen in all schools. I don't think there's a single thing I've mentioned in the entire month that would be against the general everyday life of most people in 21st century Ireland. Catholic values and secular values are not opposites. I hope I've explained that well. In fact, they probably share about 95% of the same values. And for whatever reason, we have established an entire education system based on the 5% difference and we guard it with our lives. So if I were the Minister for Education, I would be creating a system that focused on the 95% so we could all learn together. So there you have it. What we do at all, at all in those educate them all together schools as a person once uh, referred to educate together. Uh, as I said, this is just one person's uh, story. It is not what every educate together school does, but it just is an example of what could be done in an ethical uh, framework. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, please review this podcast episode. Um, 
as I've said, if you have any questions or you have any comments or you'd like to challenge me in any way, I always love being challenged. Um, please, uh, you know where I am on Twitter, Simon M. Lewis on Twitter, or you can um, find uh, me very easily by going to onshaw.net. Look, that's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you again very soon. All the best. Bye bye.